This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman comics from a humanist perspective and examines real life through the lens of a Superman fan. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 53. Truth and justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. This episode, we are going to be talking about Action Comics number 974, cover dated February 22nd, 2017, and Superman number 18, cover dated March 1st, 2017. And those are the final part of the prelude to and part one of Superman Reborn, a story arc I have been teasing about and looking forward to talking about for a long time. And also, as I did last week, if we end up running a little shorter than I'm comfortable with, I also have a surprise bonus episode uh, issue waiting in the wings to talk about, which is another really good comic that I like very, very much. But as always, before we get started, I have some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. Now, I obviously talk a lot about the qualities that Superman represents of truth and of justice and of hope, and I have done so numerous times on this segment. Um, but I've also talked about Superman's quality of compassion. And um, that is something that not necessarily Superman related, but I had an experience yesterday as I'm recording this um, that very much related to the quality of compassion that I want to talk about because I thought it was really interesting and I just wanted to share it with you guys. Now, as I've mentioned before, my daughter is part of a homeschool group and about every two months, the group takes a field trip and it's usually something science related um, or art related. But every once in a while, they will take a field trip to um, observe a... Uh, religious ceremony for something outside of the mainstream. You know, all um, like you know, my wife and I grew up in the Christian church. Um, one of the other parents grew up Mormon, so we're all familiar with that kind of side of things. But it's more about, from an intellectual standpoint, kind of observing how um, groups that are in the minority is at least as far as this, my part of the country here in Florida is related. And so for that, yesterday, we all went to a Sikh temple. Now, if you're not familiar with the Sikhs, those are the, at least as far as the men, you will sometimes see have the turbans and the big beards. And they're sometimes seen as like a stereotype of a taxi driver in New York. And there are many of them. Many of them are in the transportation business. And they're often mistaken for Muslims or Hindus, but they are usually Sikhs. And I, I want to state before I go forward, I, and I, as I've mentioned multiple times before, I am not a religious person. I have my own personal beliefs regarding spirituality. 
um, but I don't belong to a religion. I'm not a fan of organized religion in general, and I do not endorse any particular organized religion. But I just wanted to say I found this particular experience really interesting uh, from an intellectual and ethical standpoint. Um, so I'm not going to go into all the history of Sikhism. We, there was a guy that met us there, and he talked about the history of Sikhism, and it was really interesting. Um, but one of the foundations of their religion is compassion, where they they very much believe in equality between races and genders and gender identities and sexualities and all that. So that's really cool. That was really refreshing from a standpoint of organized religion. And they very much believe in serving the community. Um, the, this particular temple that we went to, when um, COVID hit and a lot of people were out of work and were having trouble making ends meet, they one thing this temple does is every Sunday when they meet, a bunch of people come in and there isn't really a ranking within the church. So even the, the quote-unquote higher-up members, they will come in and they make this massive quantity of food. And whether you attend the church or not, or if you're just someone in the neighborhood, if you would like some food, you can come in and you can have as much as you want until you are full. They don't, they say, you know, once you're full, don't ask for more. You know, we don't waste food here, but they will feed you until you are, until you cannot eat anymore. And it's pretty neat. And they opened up their doors seven days a week for months during COVID and you could come, you know, they did like a drive, uh, like a drive up thing where people will pull up in their car and someone will be waiting there with a styrofoam tray of food. And, it's, and I got to say, um, I feel kind of bad because my wife has a lot of allergies. My wife can't eat gluten. Um, we don't eat any, you know, animal products. My daughter can't have large quantities of lentils and she's allergic to almonds and some of the food had lentils in it. A lot of it had gluten in it. Um, some of it had dairy in it, and I tried to. I avoided that when I was at least thought there wasn't any. But I ended up eating some of the food, and it was insanely good. I'm I'm a big fan of Indian food. I love curry. Um, and they had chutney, and it was it was outstanding. They had some kind of dish with chickpeas. is is really spicy. is really good, and this, this amazing flatbread, and it was just outstanding. Um, and so you could come in, you could get this amazing food and they would just give it to you. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter if you attended their temple or not, if you considered yourself a Sikh or not. Um, if you were just someone that needed help, they would help you. And apparently that's a big part of, of their religion is, you know, it's not like, you know, God commands you that you shall help people. And it was kind of like the person who founded their religion is more of a, it's it's more of a philosophy that said you know we we will help people as part of our our mandate here on earth and that's really really cool and the people there were very friendly and it was very comfortable and you know like I said as someone who grew up going to church services I was very familiar with kind of the fake friendliness that you sometimes get like even at this, this Universalist Unitarian Church that 
the homeschool group is through, there's there's some fake nice going on there. These people were genuinely nice, and they were genuinely friendly. And I was very much dreading going, not from any kind of religious standpoint, but from a social standpoint. I don't like big crowds. I don't like being in crowds inside of a building. And I knew there was going to be a lot of people there. But so we go to the service and the service is all chanted and it's really neat. And they had a translation, a gist of what the, the person who was leading the service was chanting. And it was, and it wasn't like, you know, you are a bad person and only through accepting God, can you be saved? It was, it was pretty much the equivalent of God is rad and God makes me feel good. And God wants you to be a nice person, which is really neat. Um, their view of God is genderless, by the way, which I also thought was really cool. Um, and so we we go, we observe the service, we go downstairs to their, their lower level where they have the food, and there's got to be a couple hundred people in this basement, but it wasn't like the overwhelming noise that sets off my ADD anxiety. It was just a calm, peaceful murmur of people sitting around and talking pleasantly. And between just the pleasantness of the experience... And just knowing how compassionate these people were, it was really, really nice. Am I going to convert to Sikhism? No. I, I, like I said, I, I do not necessarily condone the idea of organized religion. Um, am I endorsing Sikhism? No. I, I, don't, I don't encourage people to join a religion one way or the other, whether you're into religion or not. But... I took something away from that, just that that sense of compassion. Sometimes I lack that. Sometimes it doesn't always occur to me to help people. And that kind of kind of helped expand my way of thinking about things, about going more out of my way to help people. And that really fits into the philosophy of truth, justice, and hope because, of course, that's what Superman would do. So that's all I have to say about that. So with nothing else to be said, let's go talk about some comics. Okay, again, we are starting our comic journey this episode with Action Comics number 974, which again is cover dated February 22nd, 2017. The creative team on this issue is Dan Jurgens writer, Patrick Zercher, and Steven Segovia pencilers. Zercher and uh, he who associates with Comicsgate on inks, Rob Lee letters, and Ulysses Areola colors. Clayman and Tumeo Mori did the main cover, and Gary Frank and Brad Anderson did the variant. Both of these covers are really cool. The cover by Clayman is of the mysterious other Clark grabbing Superman, our Superman, and the two of them smashing through some trees. Um, other Clark has Superman by the throat just about, and Superman is firing a blast of heat vision, which is scorching Clark's shoulder, and it is pretty great. And I pointed this out before when... Um, I believe, I don't think it was, it might have been an issue of Trinity. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the one of the issues of Trinity that we talked about, where Clayman makes his Clark 
look a lot like Henry Cavill, and that's not a bad thing. The variant cover is Lois is in the foreground, the the one by um, by uh, Gary Frank. Lois is in the foreground, and they're in the family house, and she has her arms wrapped around herself like she's you know scared, and she's looking nervously kind of off to the side and behind her shoulder, and in the background we see what is supposed to be other Clark just standing in the shadows looking at her, and it's a really effective, almost creepy cover, and uh, Gary Frank, starting with his run on Superman in the late aughts, has, um, has this ability to make Lois look just enough like Margot Kidder that you get that impression, but enough not like her that he's not copying her likeness, and it's really good, and this kind of has a almost like domestic violent survivor feel to it and again it's very creepy um one fun thing about this cover though is down in the bottom left hand corner is the Mego batmobile uh toy from the late 70s that i had when i was a kid the one that's based on the the um, adam adam west batman tv series and it's just sitting in the floor where john left it and you know, if you were really reading into that, and if you were really reading into kind of the 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 scared wife of a domestic abuser, and you're like, you know, why is this toy in the floor, Lois? And again, it's it's very effective and it's very almost kind of scary. Um, before we get started, um, there is some road construction that is just starting up, uh, maybe fifty yards away from me. I can hear a loud humming from it from one of the machines. Hopefully the recording doesn't pick it up too bad. If it does, I do apologize ahead of time. And also what I'm going to start doing, uh, this is normally where I would do a recap of everything that's pertinent that's gone on in the series that relates to what's going to happen in this issue, is I'm going to start addressing those things as those moments come up in the issue. So I am going to streamline the recap process a little bit, but if you are a new listener, hello and welcome, I am going to give you up front everything you need to understand going into this issue of this series. So the Lois and Clark and their young son, John, that we are focusing on both for Action Comics and for Superman are refugees of the pre-Flashpoint universe who have been in the post-Flashpoint universe, retcon-wise, for about 10 years. Their son was born just shortly before they came to this universe, and John is about 10 now. And they had been living incognito under the assumed identity of last name Smith, still Lois and Clark and John, um, and Superman only very recently uh, began operating as Superman again. So going into the issue, we have this great splash page of Clark as Superman in the in the Fortress of Solitude, and he's carrying Lana Lang, who is in her Superwoman costume, and flying uh, just a little bit behind them is Steel. And Segovia does 
all the pages that focuses on our Superman, and Zercher does all the pages that focuses on Lois and the mysterious Other Clark. And I'll talk about Other Clark in just a minute if you're new. Now, um, listeners, regular listeners to the show will know, but again, if you're new, welcome. Lana gained superpowers when the new 52 Superman died, and some of his energy went into her, and some of that energy went into the new 52 Lois. And the new 52 Lois died a little bit after when her powers, the energy that gave her her powers, overloaded her body. And Lana has been getting like sicker and sicker. Her powers are getting more and more powerful, and her body is not able to handle the strain. And in the last issue of this series, um, John Henry took her to uh, Superman at his other fortress in the Himalayas. They are now at the main fortress in the Arctic. He wasn't able to help her at the at the Himalayan fortress. That was just kind of a makeshift fortress that he was using while he was incognito. But he he now has access to the new Fifty Two Superman's main fortress in the Arctic, which has more. Kryptonian equipment. So they've flown here from the Himalayas, and um, he tells Kellex to get the lab ready, and uh, he tells Steel that this place is filled with Kryptonian technology. If there's anywhere that can help her, it's here. Um, and he puts her on a, on a medical examination table. Kellex scans her and pretty much tells her that he has really no idea why this is happening to her. She's in immense pain. Her powers are fritzing out of control. But then Kellex interrupts to say, is there another version of me somewhere? And Clark's like, yeah, at the Himalayan Fortress. Why? He's, I guess he's just copied Kellex's program. And Kellex says, well, the other me has alerted me, alerted me with news of this. And he projects a hologram of a bunch of military-style helicopters flying to the Himalayan fortress. And Steel's like, man, you got invaders. Do you got to go? And Superman says, no, there are security measures in place. My main priority is Lana. Now, from there, we go to Lois's office at the Daily... Well, I don't know if she's at her office. No, they're at... Okay. When the New 52... Lois died, or shortly before she died, when she knew she was dying, she sent instructions to Lois that if something happens to her, to take over her life. So our Lois has inserted herself into the professional life of her post-Flashpoint counterpart. She has access to her apartment that she uses from time to time, and she has she's now taken her place at the Daily Planet with no one there the wiser that she is not the Lois that they know. And on an office, on a wall in her office, she has all these photographs of this mysterious other Clark Kent that appeared shortly after our Clark began operating publicly as Superman again. And there's a picture of him when Doomsday reemerged. Um, there's a picture of of him being carried off by our Superman, and she has, and we have her internal monologue in all of these notes. And her monologue says, from day one on this world, we knew there was another Superman and another me. 
both died. Then to our shock, another Clark Kent showed up. By all accounts, one who never had powers or came from Krypton. His existence is a mystery we can't possibly explain. And her notes say, height, weight, the same. High school records, the same. College career, the same. Anxious to please. Too anxious. Always underfoot. Shows up uninvited. Intrusive. Saw John. Recently, Lois had John with her at the other Lois's apartment. They ordered out. They ordered some takeout. Other Clark showed up and brought the takeout up to her apartment where she met. He met John, and Lois lied and said that um, John was her nephew that she was babysitting. And her narration goes on to say, "At first, we assumed he was an imposter, but every biometric analysis verified him as authentic. A disguised Batman administered a lie detector test to find out if he was lying." Kent passed with flying colors. One thing I love about Jurgens is he's one of the few writers from the 80s and the 90s who whose writing still feels relevant while still keeping elements of the the tropes of his day. For one, exposition. I love exposition. It's making what I'm doing right now a whole lot easier because I can pretty much tell you guys, I can give you guys caught up in Jurgens slash Lois's words, and it's probably a lot more eloquent than I could put it. Um, so Lois goes on, my Clark, Colt, my Clark took him to the fortress and put him through a memory scan. He found years of memories that were eerily similar to his own. Doppel Clark said his birth parents died in a natural gas explosion, leaving him to be adopted by the Kents. There's no record of that explosion, so how did he get those memories? Who is he really? What is he really after? And so, since Lois went back to the planet, other Clark has been all up in her business. He's been very, very nosy and in a very entitled way. Like, I deserve to know this stuff, and he really doesn't. And he's also become kind of infatuated with her, and he in the last issue of this series, he asked her on a date. And her first reaction was like, no, I'm not going out with you. But he's like, no, you have to. And she stopped and thought about it. It's like, well, what better way is there for me to get some real dirt on this guy than to go out with him? So she agreed to go on a date. And they're supposed to go to Bibbo's. And she's supposed to meet him there in an hour. But then he shows up at her door now. And the outfit is wearing is straight out of the Bronze Age. He is wearing what I think of as the Super Kenner Superpowers Collection mail-in Clark Kent action figure outfit. It's the blue two-piece suit with the blue jacket, the matching slacks, the white shirt, and the red and black striped tie. Straight out of the Superpowers Collection. I'm sure it was something he wore all the time in the Silver and Bronze Age. Can't really speak from experience on that. But man, I really wish I had that figure. I think my friend uh, who had all the superpowers figures might have gone for the mail away. I would love to have that. I finally broke down and got McFarlane superpowers collection Superman. It's pretty good. It is a good homage to... The superpower Superman figure, which I did not have, which I wish I had. I've talked about it before. I'm going to talk about it again. Um, 
when the superpowers figures came out, I was 10, maybe 11. By then, I really liked robots. I mean, superheroes were still my favorite, but I really wanted robot toys. I'm not just trip. But I didn't want Transformers, and I didn't want GoBots. I would find these weird kind of Japanese imports and stuff like that, and the knockoffs. And I think I just turned down the superpowers figures. One, because I wasn't a DC kid. I was a Marvel kid growing up. And two, I liked robots, which is why one of the only superpowers figures I had was Robot Brainiac. And for some reason, I also had the Flash, even though I didn't like the Flash as a kid. I had Martian Manhunter, which I knew from the first issue of the the Justice League Detroit arc. Uh, and who I kind of liked. And then my grandma, who really didn't know anything about what I liked, but she knew I liked superheroes. She bought me the Cyclotron figure, which is a character they made up just for the collection, who happened to be a robot. So maybe she was trying to put, well, I know Grant likes superheroes, and I know he likes robots, so here you go. But anyway, and so um, Clark shows up, and he's like, well, I've decided to take you to our date. And she's like, fine. And so she grabs her coat, and he puts his hand on her shoulder. He goes, let's make tonight special. And it comes across as really overbearing. And he talks about how thrilled he is that, you finally, that she finally agreed to go out with him. I think what Jurgens is doing here is maybe homaging how pre-crisis Clark was kind of, you know, the, the, the act that he put on for the rest of the world was kind of a schmuck. So I think he's having... And I, I think that'll bear out when they show who other Clark's real identity is. But he tells her he has a surprise for her, and they go outside. And not only did he not wait for her at Bibbo's, not only did he... Uh, but he um, he ordered them a limousine. And so he's taking her to what she thinks is a dinner at Bibbo's in a limousine. And he says, nothing but the best for the best, Lois. And um, she thinks about how the two of them are about him and her Clark are nothing alike. And he tells the driver, who we can't see because the screen is up between the two of them, to take them to La Le Sanc, um instead of Bibbo's. And she says, wait a minute, that's crazy expensive. What happened to Bibbo's? And he says, a neighborhood bar isn't good enough for you, Lois. I want you to remember tonight is something special. So again, very creepy, very overbearing. Um, not allowing her any agency in in their plans. So from there we go back to the Arctic Fortress. Kellex tells Superman that he has not had any luck in um, in stabilizing her powers. And Kellex says, I still lack clarity on the exact nature of Ms. Lang's powers. They appear to be of Kryptonian origin, which... And Superman snaps his fingers and says, of course. And he picks up Lon and he zips out of the room. And Kellex tells John Henry that he believes that Superman is referencing something from his personal history. And we go into another room. And Superman has put Lana in the healing liquid tank chamber in the Kryptonian warsuit. And it's a, if not the same, then a replica of the one that Superman used after his resurrection to go from the Fortress of Solitude to Metropolis to prepare to join the other Supermen to fight the Cyborg. 
and the same one that Lex co-opted during the fall of Metropolis. And um, so we have Lana floating in this big tank, and it looks like you know the Star Wars back to tank that Luke's in and Empire Strikes Back. And um, Clark uh, Superman says it can also help its wearer recover from even the most grievous wounds. Now, previously, in the reign of the Superman, we saw that the interior interior of the war suit was filled with some kind of liquid. It's like the, the user has on this bodysuit that enables them to interface with with the war suit and they're floating in like almost like a sensory deprivation tank. Like so what they the movements that they make are replicated by the war suit, which is much, much bigger than a person. It kind of reminds me of this one season of Gundam that I remember from when I was younger. But what they didn't go into during Reign of the Superman is that that fluid also has healing properties, which makes a lot of sense in retrospect. I'm very close to getting to the Reign of the Superman over on the Patreon. And I love the Reign of the Superman. And if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I have a tremendous fondness for the long hair era of 90s Superman. But one thing that's always bugged me and I didn't pick this up on it when I read it when I was 19, when it came out. But when Clark first emerges from the resurrection, resurrection matrix, you don't know that it's Clark. You think it's supposed to be the, the quote-unquote last son of Krypton, who's eventually revealed to be the Eradicator. Um, because they look just alike, and they, they kind of act very similar with the lights being too bright, and so forth and so on. And there he has short hair. He looks like Superman in a black bodysuit. Then he gets in the warsuit and he and he the warsuit marches from the Arctic to Metropolis and he gets out and the warsuit opens up and Clark gets dumped out with all the fluid and there's when he the long hair first appears. And I was ever since I reread it a couple years ago, I'm like, wait a minute. Here he has short hair in the fortress and he has long hair when he gets out. And I knew that it was a last minute change and rumor has that they made they decided to give him long hair because Dean Cain, um, who is a terrible person, um, who played Superman in the 90s, was reportedly growing his hair out for another role he was going to be playing. And the producers of the show were worried that he would have to keep the hair, so they asked the the comic book publishers to to the editors to make Superman's hair longer in the comics to match what people might be seeing on the show. And then, and then they were kind of stuck with it for good or worse. And, but if he wasn't fully healed when he came out of the resurrection, resurrection matrix and the fluid inside the war suit has regenerative properties and was stimulating cell growth to prove to facilitate the healing that makes sense why his hair would be longer when it came out. Now, why, why is it that he wouldn't have a full beard at that point? I can't say. I don't know. And I'll talk about this more on the Patreon when we get to those issues of, uh, of Reign of the Superman. And if you're not already a subscriber, by the way, it's patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope. I talk about my favorite classic post-crisis Superman stories over there. This week... I will be talking about the actual death of Superman, Superman number 75. And I'll be going forward from there, and I'll talk about it more at the end of the show. 
but um and he superman just says well this should keep lana safe there's you know there's he asks telex if if there's any word from the other fortress Kellex says none it's like well i'm gonna stay here and i'm gonna keep an eye on lana and i also like how um uh, segovia and um who's the anchor on this one on segovia's work and i think it's the other guy um what's his name but i like how they make their version of superman almost look like he has long sideburns it looks pretty cool it's usually the side of his face is in shadow and the shadow matches up with where his sideburns would be and it kind of it's got kind of the 70s vibe to it and i'm kind of here for it but in the himalayas at the other fortress we have a team of guys in rad looking arctic armor have showed up and if you know me from my twitter you know i'm all about some arctic adventure gear i love arctic variation action figures i wasn't you know i've never been a big batman fan but i've always gotten every like batman arctic whatever i have the cable arctic variation if there had been a wolverine arctic figure from the toy biz line i would have gotten that too i love arctic adventure things i have ever since i was like eight years old and i got snow job the arctic trooper from G.I. Joe in the little snowmobile. <laughs> anyway, um, so they are outside the fortress, and we have we see their names on stenciled on the outside of their armor. One of them's last name is Francis, one of them's last name is Chambers, and the one in the middle, his last name is Henshaw. Hmm. And we did meet a we did meet the post flashpoint uh version of Hank Henshaw in the uh Lois and Clark miniseries that I talked about in the first few episodes of this show, who is not the cyborg Superman, but has acquired some kind of mysterious crystal who had, which has some kind of unknown properties, but he very much wants the other half of it. And so Henshaw sends this guy chambers into the fortress uh, to go do whatever it is he's going to do. And very quickly inside, the radio signal begins to get all staticky. And Chambers can hear a voice in his head saying, Hello? Is someone there? Superman is holding me prisoner. Please let me out. From there, we go to Metropolis, where Other Clark has taken Lois to this expensive French restaurant. Uh, we know it's a fr French restaurant because the Mater D has a Batroc Z Leap Air accent. This way, please. Um, and they, Clark has actually paid for a private room at the restaurant. And he slips the Mater D a five. President Lincoln says thank you, cheapskate. And he's got like this vase of flowers, which are a little overly. They're a little much for a romantic evening. And then there's helium balloons hanging from them, you know, floating above them in green and orange and red. So it's like you have this romantic evening, but then you have a, a get well soon bouquet and a kid's birthday party balloons. And we've seen before that this other Clark, there's something very, very 
there's got to be something supernatural about him because when Lois followed him to his apartment and went inside, the the desk the front desk guard said that he hasn't seen Clark in months, even though he walked in just ahead of Lois. And we've seen that he has a, a thing for junk food. Like, um, she, she went to, she followed him to, uh, like a big belly burger where he ordered like four milkshakes and five chocolate pies and some other kind of junk and stuff. So there's something very off and he, he has this weird kind of thing where he's, he wants to do stuff almost like what a kid would think a grown up does. And so, and he's telling Lois, we might have started the night as friends, but it, I feel we can be more. It's as if destiny that we can get together. And he reaches inside his jacket. He pulls out a little box and he gets down on one knee and says, Mary Lois, I promise I'll do whatever it takes to make you happy. And Lois is very um, clearly and very understandably freaked out. So back in the Himalayas, Chambers is standing on this platform in front of these holding cells that Clark has in his his Himalayan fortress. And there we see Blank, who was also introduced during the Lois and Clark miniseries. He is an incredibly powerful telepath. He is an incredibly power powerful telekinetic, and he is a complete sociopath and nihilist. All he wants to do is kill and destroy in the name of making art, as he calls it. And um, Blank is, he has completely chalk white skin, chalk white hair. He wears all white clothing, hence the name. He's a pretty cool design, honestly. And he says, at long last, someone has come. Someone who do is ordered, won't you, Ramirez? That's interesting. Because uh, I'm pretty sure we sent Chambers on in. Uh, no, I'm sorry, we sent Ramirez. We sent, I, I, they didn't send Chambers in, they sent Ramirez in. And um, the other uh, inhabitants of the cells who are people from other dimensions that are basically in there because they can't survive outside of the outside of the cells are telling Ramirez run if he gets inside your head it's you know he'll take over your mind and uh, blank says too late open the door and um, outside of the fortress um, one of the other science, armor arctic guy says we got an image from ramirez's helmet cam um they've got this little thing that looks like a like a smartphone uh, henshaw says i've seen that face he killed every inhabitant of rusty ridge new mexico and then disappeared and blank's telepathic voice is hardly just before the entire mountain containing the fortress explodes and the scientists run back to their choppers. And Henshaw saying, no, if that place belongs to Superman, we can't leave. The secrets, uh, and someone says the secrets inside are buried. Henshaw move. And so they get in the helicopter and they take off. So outside of the restaurant in Metropolis, Lois is running through the rain to get away from other Clark. She gets to a taxi and she says, I tried to be a friend, but the deeper I went, the messier I got. And other Clark says, the ring, we're meant to be together. She says, no, we aren't. I'm not going to marry you. And other Clark says, I thought you cared. We have to be together. We have to. And Lois gets in a taxi and leaves. And Clark says, come back, Lois. I'll be good. I promise I'll be good. 
and in one panel we can see through the lenses of his glasses and his eyes look very sad and he looks down he's standing in the rain and when he looks up the lenses are completely opaque so he's now taking on a more inhuman distant alien appearance and it says someone took you away from me i'll find out who or what it is and i'll remove it and he gets in the back of the limo and now we see that the screen is down between the front and the back and there's no one in the driver's seat but he says follow that taxi so back in the himalayan uh the, the arctic fortress uh Kellek says that lana's life signs are stable that John Henry asks how long she has to stay in there. Superman says as long as it takes to get her completely stabilized. And um, Kellex gives an update from the Himalayan fortress saying that uh, everything's fine. It was just a false alarm at the other fortress. And uh, Clark tells John Henry, he's like, look, my family's expecting me. I have to go. It's interesting that John Henry knows this much about Superman at this point. Um, they, they, I don't think they've even met before, except for maybe very briefly. But hey, maybe they had a heart-to-heart off-panel. I don't know. But we see um, outside of the rubble of the Himalayan fortress, the the statues of. Jorel and Lara are are falling over. There's rubble all around, and Blank is dancing on the top of the rubble. So from there we go to Hamilton County. We go to the Smith home. You can't see the air quotes I'm making, but I'm making air quotes around Smith. And uh, Superman is take or Clark is taking a break, and they're sitting around. They're having a family meal. It's later that night. Um. He's just talking about the complications with Lana. They're talking to John about doing their homework. And outside the window, we see a shadowy figure. And um, and uh, we see that that shadowy figure is Other Clark. And he's saying, you were lying to me all along. That boy isn't your cousin's son. He's yours. Yours and one who looks like me. It's all coming back to me. And he drops to his knees and clutches his head. He says, I remember. I remember all of it. You ruined my life ruined everything and when he looks up there is light uh, kind of bluish white light emanating from the inside of his glasses and he says well if it's fun you want you want it's fun you'll get and that is the end of the issue and it says it will be continued in superman number 18 which we're going to talk about in just a moment this is a really good issue i i am when i first read this I was kind of disappointed with where the other Clark revelation goes. But now that this is probably like my fourth time reading it, um, I like it. It, I don't know if where the story's going was what Jurgens had intended for other Clark to be. Because I think what we're going to get with Superman Reborn is an editorial mandate. Um, but I think Jurgens was able to take his original plan and expand it, whatever it might have been, and make it fit into the mandate and did some really interesting stuff with it. Again, whether or not that was the plan from day one, 
I don't know. I'll never know. Jurgens has said, you know, publicly, it, it, there's no point in talking about what might have been. This is what is. And so, you know, that, that's it. Um, so, yeah, very good story. Like I've said, when it comes to Zercher's artwork and Jurgens' writing, the smaller stories work better. I'd rather have interaction between Lois and other Clark where there isn't big explosions and fight scenes and, and they're just being drama. Um, and I think Segovia's artwork is better for the sci-fi stuff like at the fortresses. So very cool. Uh, very fun issue. Good prelude to what we're about to read. So I'm going to go run an ad and I'll come right back and we will talk about part one of Superman Reborn. Okay, again, Superman number 18 is cover dated March 1st of 2017. It is written by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. Gleason also did the pencils. Mick Gray is the inker, and John Calise is the color, with Rob Lee doing letters. Patrick Gleason and John Calise did the main cover, and Gary Frank and Brad Anderson again did the variant cover. Um, so let's take a look at those. The main cover is very fun. It's a, a mostly blank purple background, but then we have this one strip kind of toward the left-hand side of the page where it is mostly in yellows of the backdrop of either the Kent farm or the Smith farm or somewhere like that. And then we have the Superman Reborn banner uh, running vertically to it. Standing in front of this is Clark in a pair of jeans and work boots in a red flannel shirt, but he has the shirt pulled open to expose the Superman S. Lois is uh, in a purple workout outfit, kind of leaning, leaning into and hugging Clark. John is sitting on Clark's shoulders, wearing his Superboy costume, and he's reaching out and booping the nose of Crypto, who is just kind of hovering nearby and doggy smiling. And then we have a separate image of Clark close up in the foreground. It's very nice, very fun cover. I've, I've used it before when I did the Thanksgiving uh, Fortress of Solitude like special segment in 2021. Um, yeah, it's very nice. And then the variant is much more intense, the, the Gary Frank one. We have... Uh, John and Lois standing in front of the family barn, and then we have a separate image of Clark in a in a suit, pulling the shirt and jacket open, exposing the Superman S as he runs off and runs from like the left hand side of the page to the right hand side of the page. Everyone looks very upset and concerned, and then there's these ghostly blue flames that are creeping along the bottom of the page and up the right hand side and both both covers are are again excellent i would have a hard time choosing between the two um in this case i may as much as i like gary frank i may actually would have gone with the gleason cover on this one very good stuff and again same thing you need to know before if you're new to the show again welcome about the 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 background information as far as Lois and Clark and John being from the from the pre-Flashpoint universe. Anyway, um, so 
as we open, we get this really kind of trippy view of what I think is probably supposed to be outer space. We have all these stars in the background, but then we have this big, like, crackly nebula thing. And then we zoom in tighter and tighter and tighter into the nebula. And the narration box says, time answers, space questions, matter questions, energy answers, hollow spaces waiting to be filled, to be watched. And we see that inside of this crackling center of this nebula is the headquarters of Mr. Oz. Now, Mr. Oz is someone that we met in very briefly for the first time in the Superman Reborn, no, not in the Super, in the DC, in the DC Universe Rebirth one shot. And he is a mysterious figure in a hooded green cloak who has a kind of skies like staff. And he knows a lot about Clark and Lois and Clark's identity as Superman. And he's been manipulating events in some way. Uh, we know that when Doomsday was set free. It was Mr. Oz that captured Doomsday at the end of it when Superman thought he had banished Doomsday to the Phantom Zone. And um, there's been several other hints of Mr. Oz's hand being at play. And we see that he does have um, he does have Doomsday trapped in some kind of suspension. We have this character named Prophecy who we met in a story arc a few episodes back over on, in the main Superman title. And then we also have Tim Drake, who has been going by Red Robin at this point. And, he's, and Tim is laughing, saying, Ha ha, you couldn't keep us all. Someone got out. Now, when I first read this, I assumed that this was some kind of alternate reality version of Tim Drake. Apparently it is not. Um, I have not read the the DC Rebirth era detective comics, but apparently Tim seemed to have died in that title and was apparently um, captured by Mr. Oz instead. I don't know why. I plan to eventually read that title. I'm slowly getting, getting caught up with some of the other Rebirth era books. Right now I'm mostly focusing on the Tom King run of Batman. But I'll get there eventually, and I guess then I'll find out. But we zoom out, and we see that Oz has this big um, obelisk-like prison floating in the middle of this kind of blasted landscape. And we see where the, where the bottom of the prison has been blasted out. And Oz looks very perturbed. He goes to the prison. And we see where the inside of this cell, it's just one big cell, and the former occupant has doodled all over the inside of the cell. And there are childlike drawings of Superman fighting monsters and skeletons. And we see this childlike drawing of Ma and Pa finding Superman as a baby and Superman saving someone falling uh, from a great height. We see um, Superman as Clark outside the Daily Planet with Jimmy and someone that's probably also supposed to be Perry. We see just dozens and dozens and dozens of glasses of drawings of Clark's glasses. We see dozens of drawings of the Superman symbol. We see a drawing at the bottom of Clark pulling open his shirt and his coat to reveal the S symbol. And we see where 
um, the person who made all these drawings said, wrote in huge letters, Superman will save me. Superman, save me. Please, 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 please. Superman, where are you? And from there, we go back to Hamilton County, back to the Smith Farm, and some time has passed since the end of Action Comics. It's at least the next night. And now it is Lois and Clark's anniversary. And Clark has made a pineapple upside-down cake. And John has gotten his mom and dad some presents. And he got uh, Lois a leather writing notebook that's uh, with an inscription that says Mom's Adventure Journal. And she says that could come in handy around here. And John gives her a hug and says, yes, yeah, some, something to remember your new adventures. I figured you could start out with How the Eradicator and How We. And Lois says, having you will always be my greatest adventure. And he gives Clark a, farmer, a farmer's almanac. And Clark says, your grandpa would have agreed. I need all the help I can get. And John says, I know you can see Superfrog already, but this will help you see into the future for farming and stuff. And Clark picks up John and gives him a hug and says, when I think of the future, I only see you, kid. So we're getting this brief just demonstration of how much this family loves each other and how much, uh, how much Lois and Clark think so highly of John. And so they put a bunch of candles on the pineapple upside down cake. They, they all gently blow on the candles to blow it out and, don't 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 blow on candle don't don't blow on the candles to blow out them on your cake anymore. You're just gonna give everybody your germs and that's gross. But this was pre-COVID. And um uh Clark has gotten Lois a sweater and she's like, Oh, you said no gifts, you spoil me. And so we're and there and Clark is saying we've been blessed these past months to have found everything we need right here in Hamilton County. And so we're just getting this brief snapshot of how perfect their life is at this moment. And those of you that have been reading comics for a long time will know that when you have a everything is perfect moment, everything is about to go completely sideways. And just then the doorbell rings. So John runs and gets the door and he opens it. And all there is, the person who rang the doorbell is gone. They've left something on the doorstop. It looks like a photo album wrapped up in a ribbon. And... John sees someone walking off. He says, hey, mister, did you leave this? And the mysterious figure looks back, and John sees that it's Other Clark. And Crypto goes flying up to Other Clark. He's growling at him. He's barking at him furiously. His eyes are lit up red with, um, with heat vision energy. And Clark hears the barking, and he says, the other one, he's here. And he super speed changes into a Superman outfit, and... Just as other Clark walks off into the distance saying goodbye, John, Superman flies outside. Lois runs after and joins him. And other Clark is now completely disappeared. And he asks John if he said anything, if he did anything. And um, uh, John says, no, he just left this outside. So they take the ribbon off and the inscription on the outside of the photo album says the Kents and they're like, Whoa, how did he know that we are the Kents and Superman's flying around. He says, there's no sign of him, not even a heartbeat. And inside the photo album are all these photos of the family history going all the way back to the 1800s 
to a guy named Nathaniel Kent, who looks like he's wearing a sheriff's or marshal's badge. And um, Clark says he joined the Union, Union Army after what he saw during Bleeding Kansas. He sees a picture of Ma and Pa when they were young at their at their prom. Uh, there's a picture of Clark and Lana hanging out when they were teenagers. Uh, Ma and Pa finding baby Clark. There's an image of of Superman holding up a green card that's an obvious homage to the cover of Action Comics number one. Clark and Lois, Jimmy, um, Perry, and um, uh, Steve Lombard at the Daily Planet, and then a close-up of Jimmy and a close-up of Lois leading Clark by at the tie. And uh, John's like, hey, how come I'm not in any of these? And obviously it's because they were from before John was born. But um, just then, the kitchen curtains light on fire, but it's this blue fire. And Superman says, I, I don't know what's going on. I've checked, I've checked the walls. There's no wiring. Nothing's, nothing you know, could have made this combustion. But then and he blows it out with his super breath, but then it comes right back. And he says there's no smoke, and it's not really burning. And Lois says it's starting to eat away at things. And we see that the fire has surrounded the cake. And it's there's actually each of the candles has become relit. And um, they're like, they say that the, the fire is erasing things. And Clark tells Lois to get herself and John out before it spreads. And that is when they look over and the next page is a full splash with the blue fire just consuming their living room. It's eaten away part of the ceiling part of the chair, part of the walls, part of the lamp, and the fire has spread to John's arms and his feet. And so Clark flies to John. He grabs him. He says, hang on, I'll have him gone in a second. But then John disappears. And Lois said, it's like he just blinks out. But then they hear John from yelling from off panel, and he's coming from the basement. So Superman flies down to the basement. He finds John sitting on the pool table. He runs up to grab him, and then John disappears again. And they hear him shouting from upstairs. And so he smashes upward through the floor in this great panel, this great shot of Clark as Superman. And he sees John sitting on his bed surrounded by the flames. And so he takes off his cape and he wraps John up in his cape and they smash out through the window and land on the ground outside. But John is now completely covered in the flames. And John, or, uh, Clark holds John close to him. And John says, don't let me go, Dad. And Clark says, I won't, son, never. But then... John completely disappears as the house goes up in blue flames. And John, as John fades out, he says, Mom, Dad, don't let me go. And then all Clark is left holding is his cape as he shouts, No, the house is gone. John is gone. All that's left is the photo album. And now all the photos inside of him of it are blank. And, Super, and Lois says, We lost our son. And Clark says, we didn't lose him, Lois. We didn't lose John. That Clark Kent took him, and we're going to make him give John back. And it says that this story will be continued in Action Comics number 975. Now, this is a really short story exposition-wise. It's much like the previous issue of uh, this series. It's very visually oriented. But it is a very good. It's very effective. It lets you know 
how much this is going to hurt Clark and Lois having their son disappear, how happy they are, and how disruptive this is to their life. And it's not just that they're being attacked. It's like part of their life is being erased on a cosmic level. And it's very, very good. But because this was such a short breakdown, that means I get to talk to you guys about my special backup bonus issue. So I'm going to take another short break and we'll come back and do just that. For our special bonus episode, we are going to talk about new Superman number nine. Now, I I had to, as much as I love the series, I had to pull myself away from Superman Reborn to talk about it because that would really screw up the the reading rotation for future episodes. But I love this series, so if I have to stop talking about Superman Reborn, this is a good one to do it. And uh, this issue was cover dated March 8th, 2017. The creatives on it are Gene Luen Yang as writer, Victor Bogdanovic as pencil. I... I miss Billy Tan's pencils, but Bogdanovich does a fine job. He also does his own inks. Apparently, Jonathan Galipion also helped with the inks. I'm not familiar with his work. Mike Spencer is the colorist, and Dave Sharp is the letterer. Bogdanovich and someone by the last name of Spicer did the main cover, and the variant, as usual with the series, is by Bernard Chang. And the main cover is of our Superman of China, Kong Kennan, grappling with uh, an armored Lex Luthor over the, over the skies of Metropolis while a young lady with purple hair zips by super speed. And we'll meet, we'll learn more about her in the issue. And uh, the variant is of Kennan riding on top of a bullet train eating something, looking down kind of besmirchingly at Superman as Superman runs along beside the train at super speed, looking up at Kenan with some consternation. And they're both very good covers. Um, Hello. Someone just beep-beeped. So, again, if you're new, I will go into the pertinent details of previous issues as they pertain to this issue as we get to them. But what you need to know going into this story is that when the um, when the New 52 Superman emitted this massive uh, energy burst while fighting an opponent uh, during his solo series during the New 52, which I, ha- I have not gotten to that arc yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, that energy was collected by the mysterious Dr. Omen, who is the head of the Ministry of Self-Reliance for China, and she picked a young man from China by the name of Kong Kennan to infuse into that energy, which gave him Superman-like powers that he does not have fine control over, and she teamed him up with a young man who has become the Batman of China and a young woman who has become the Wonder Woman of China. And in recent issues, uh, Kenan has taken on a mentor to help him learn more about his powers, and he is also 
working on overcoming his own arrogance and immaturity. Very good. Very good issue. Or a very good series, I should say. Now, when um, Kenan took on this mentor, is a guy by the name of I Ching, who um, I don't know what's been done with the character between this and then, but I Ching was the character in pre-crisis continuity that taught a powerless Wonder Woman Kung Fu. But he has taught Kenan, he's helped him understand that the, the energy of the new 52 Superman that he's been imbued with is, is like his chi, it's like his life force. So he, his new 52 Superman's life force has become co-mingled with his own. And he's teaching him Tai Chi-like techniques to move that chi from one part of his body to another. And there are different parts of the body that activate different superpowers. And they don't always equate to what we here in the Western world might equate body part to power. Um, So his belly is what controls his invulnerability. And his fists control his super strength, which makes sense. And the ears control the super hearing, which makes sense. We'll get into this more, that there are other things that maybe don't always quite match up. But it's kind of like an Ultra Boy situation where he can do Superman-like things, but not always all of them at once. Maybe it's not as precise as Ultra Boy, where it can only be one power at a time, but it's very deliberate. He has to focus on what power he wants to use and channel his energy in a certain way for him to be able to do it. And... Uh, As the issue opens, we see that Lex Luthor has come to the Oriental Pearl Tower headquarters of the Justice League of China. Now, Lex met Kenan and the other members of the Chinese Justice League very briefly um, after uh, the the Chinese Justice League helped stop a team of terrorists um, that were led by Kenan's uncle, Lex met them and congratulated them as part of a basically a publicity thing. And even though Jurgens is trying really hard to make this version of Lex sympathetic, Gene Yang is not having it. This Lex comes across as very smarmy and very underhanded. And he's wearing a black suit, but he has on um, either a green vest under the jacket that just a little bit of it shows, and then a purple tie. So he's got the traditional Lex colors really tied in to what he's doing. And um, and uh, Kenan and um, the the Chinese Batman by Shi and the Chinese Wonder Woman Day Lan, they're sitting around playing something kind of like dominoes. I don't know what it is. Um, and one thing that they always do with the dialogue on this is dialogue that's spoken in China, in Chinese or Mandarin is written in black, like you would see typical script for dialogue, but then words that are spoken in English are written in blue. So it's a neat inversion. And Lex is speaking Chinese, but his Chinese is not very good. He's like, sorry for my interrupt and for my rotten Mandarin. And, um, Oh, they're 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 playing a game of mahjong, and um, <laughs> uh, 
Lex uh, reintroduces himself to Kenan. Lex is speaking English. He says, good to see you, Kenan. Congratulations again on your Hero of the City Award. And Kenan just goes, yes. And um, we've seen that Kenan does not speak English at all. And so whenever Lex says anything to him, the only one of the two English words he knows is yes. And he just responds with that. And, um, and so Dr. Omen says that Lex is not there to see uh, Baishi or Daylon. He's just there to see Kenan. And Dr. Omen tells Kenan to come with them into the control room. And, um, <laughs> um, hang on one second. Um, Dr. Omen's really funny. She, she's probably the overall villain of the story, but I love the way she's written. And so Lex is spil- still speaking in English. She says, I'm grateful to doc- that Dr. Omen has agreed to assist me with the situation of my company. Kenan responds, yes. And Dr. Omen says, because your average box of hair has a better grasp of English than you, Kenan, allows me to translate. Um, and, uh, Dr. Omen says, Mr. Luthor is inviting you to America as a security consultant at LexCorp. This is an opportunity to build a relationship with one of the most influential companies in the world, so I'm letting you go. And uh, Kenan says, I don't want to go with this guy. I can barely communicate with him. And so uh, that is why Dr. Omen has summoned I Ching, who, um, who Kenan met through Dr. Omen's assistant, Ming Ming, um, to, to come along to translate. And um, there, there's this running gag as far as Kenan and, and I Ching. They, I Ching runs a Tai Chi class, and there's an old lady in there who wears a Superman shirt. And so when Kenan introduced himself, he's like, ha-ha, aren't you impressed? I'm Superman. And he opens his, he you know, takes off his street clothes and reveals his, his Chinese Superman outfit in the old lady in Superman shirt. It goes, yay, we're shirt twins. And so they refer to her often as shirt twin lady. And um, apparently Ming Ming is I Ching's best student. And uh, twin shirt lady is, uh, is, the third, is the second best. So Ken is only the third best student in his class. Um, and so Lex says in English, Superman, I know you haven't yet mastered the ability to fly. So I arranged a LexCorp jet for us at the airport, and I Ching translate says, he says that because you have been too slothful to wake up in time for morning meditation, we will have to take his airplane to America. Kenneth says, that's not what he says. Um, but his internal dialogue is thinking that right now, he, Daylon, and Bai Shi are, and uh, Bai Shi's uh, Robin robot are in the middle of an investigation. They're trying to figure out who killed Kenan's mother, who he he believes that Dr. Omen may be responsible for, who killed his father. Kenan's father isn't really dead. He's being held captive in a coma by uh, Dr. Omen. And I personally think that Dr. Omen is really his mom in secret. Um, and so he tries to, they try to tell Lex that Kenan's too busy to go, but Dr. Omen says, ahem, and interrupts, and in the next scene, we see that Kenan and, um, and I Ching are on Lex's private jet. Um, 
and Kenan's being very insulting. He says, isn't this Luthor guy supposed to be the third richest, the world's richest man? I thought there'd be more gold. Even the Ministry's airship looks better. And I Ching translates, Kenan is impressed by your elegant taste and design, Mr. Luthor. Lex says, ha-ha, LexCorp only works with the best, which is why you're here, Kenan. And I Ching translates out as, he says if you took your training more seriously, you might become the best. And um, they look out the window, and now they're in Metropolis, and Lex's jet looks like a big, cool spaceship. And Kenan is very impressed with the view of Metropolis. Um, um, they land on the roof of LexCore, and um, <laughs> and there's just some silly back and forth about um, about Kenan being a smarty pants, and um, and Iching kind of trying to translate what Kenan says more more diplomatically. So a little bit later, they go inside the facility and they have these massive suits of Lex armor and they're all just different variations of Lex's battle suit. And they all kind of sort of look like Gundams, which I think is really fun. I think I'm gonna take a sip of my coffee. I don't know what I did with my coffee this time. I don't know if I accidentally put too much sugar in it because I wasn't paying attention or because I barely consume any sugar now, just the tiny amount that I've sh- that I amount of sugar that I do put in my coffee is starting to taste overwhelming. But that coffee tastes like it has too much sugar in it. And so, while they're gawking up at the Lex suits, Lex, Lex begins to say in English, "Very few of my guests are allowed to see what you're seeing, Kenan. I prototyped these super suits myself." They gave me the same powers as the alien being who calls himself Superman. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Or perhaps I should say, and then he switches to Chinese, or Mandarin, excuse me, and says, do you understand what I'm telling you? You and I are both Superman, yet we are both human. That makes us natural allies with the same enemies. And they're like, hey, you spoke Chinese the whole time. And Lex says, haha, feigning ignorance is something is sometimes the best way to get to the bottom of things, and please call me Lex. And um, so uh, Lex tries to dismiss I Ching and says, well, your services are no longer required, so let me, let me have my staff escort you to the Lex Hotel. And Kenan's like, well, I'd really rather he stay with us. And Lex is like, fine. And so um, they look down into a, into a training, not a training room, but a, a lab that Lex is working on. And they're watching the video, and there is someone super speeding through the facility and smashes into a security robot. And she says, ow, damn it. And Kenan recognizes that as a girl's voice. And Lex says, yes, a Chinese speedster. At first, I thought she'd been sent by the Ministry of Self-Reliance, but further investigation proved that not to be the case. I want to know who she works for, and more importantly, I want her stopped. And... Um, Kenan asks if, if she's trying to steal a super suit and says, no, she's after something more valuable. So they go down into this lab and we have this massive set of doors that's freestanding. It's being supported by what looks like some kind of gravity energy emitters or something. And there's a bull in the, the door. I think it's supposed to be made out of green material, but the lighting makes the top have it look top part of it look kind of purple and blue and the door on 
your left as you're facing it has a bull's head and the door on the right has a horse's head and um, Lex says I've studied you for a while now Kenan I've discovered solar energy identical to yours in another dimensional plane and I believe that these two centuries old artifacts known as the ox horse door rings can open a portal to that plane and he says once we access that energy we can immediately manifest all the superpowers that rightfully belong to you and um Ching asks how did we come upon these how did you get these two artifacts and Lex is like details details it doesn't matter and um Kenneth says why all this just for me and Lex says because the technology that Dr. Human Omen used to infuse you with power was how should I put it borrowed from me I invented it um and so he's like, "Forgive me for overstepping, but in a strange sense, I think of yourself. I think of myself as your father." And each thing pulls Kenan aside and says, "Look, there are no shortcuts to accessing your powers. You have to do it the hard way. You have to do it the right way. If you try to cheat, it's going to go very, very wrong." But Lex is like, "Hey, quick, easy method over here." And Kenan's thinking, I need all my power. If I'm going to you know, find out who murdered my parents and avenge them, I don't have time to wait. And so with regret on his face, and that's something Bogdanovic is very good at, his facial expressions. He apologizes to I Ching and says he has to give it a shot. So um, back in uh, Shanghai, we see that uh, Daylan and Bai Shi and uh, Bai Shi's Robin bot are um are apprehending some criminals and um uh and uh, after they catch the bad guys robin bot says that his background processors have discovered something that may be of interest by she says i asked him to sift through the ministry's database for any clues about kenan's mom and this is the ministry of self-reliance maintains a secret laboratory in this Shangxi province take a look at this particular record from this inventory database and we don't get to find out what was in the database because we go back to LexCore and Kenan has hold of the brass rings that hang from the ox's nose and the horse's nose on the doors and he's pulling with all his strength but he can't get them open and Lex says I've tried pulling on them with all the power of my super suit but I can't get them open either and um, I Ching says, you know, you need to remember your training. If you want to access your super strength, you need to send your chi into your hands. And Kenan's like, well, I'm, I'm doing something other than what you wanted me to do. Why are you helping me? And I Ching says, you are my disciple. I'll always be here for you. Um, <laughs> and Kenan starts to say, thank you. And, Ken, and I, I Ching says, no matter how idiotic your decisions will be, I will be here. And Kenan says, thank you. And I Ching says, no matter how foolish, how ill-conceived, how hellishly short-sighted. <laughs> and, and Kenan's like, okay, okay, I get it. And so Kenan closes his eyes. He focuses his chi into his hands. It activates his super strength. He yanks the door open. And then out of the doorway comes a skeleton with fire in its eyes and mouth and flaming off the top of its head, wearing a Superman suit. And it blasts Kenan in the eyes and the mouth with fire from its eyes and its mouth. And then Kenan is suddenly glowing with energy and, fl and floating 
over the floating above the floor saying I can fly again and um and and Lex is looking maniacal and talking about what the two of them could accomplish together with the world's two most powerful the supermen of two most the world's two most powerful nations and Kenan says he thinks he can hear something off in the distance getting closer and uh with all of his powers kind of sort of activated at once, his super hearing is going, and he says, it's like a, and we see a purple flash, a buzz, and we see another purple flash. He goes, no, not a buzz, and another purple flash, and we see in the reflection of his eye someone running toward them. He says, footsteps, and then a young lady with purple hair uh, wearing yellow pants, red boots, red... um, um like knee pads, a pink ACDC shirt, a blue jacket and yellow gloves just comes out of nowhere and punches Kenan in the mouth and says, you psychopaths trying to end the world. And I don't know if this was Yang's intention when he wrote and described the scene to Bogdanovic, but I am getting some serious early nineties Jubilee vibes from the X-Men from this young lady who heard this is Avery Ho, by the way, they don't say her name yet. I don't think they say it in this issue, but I know that Jean is all about, um, getting more exposure for not only Asian creators, but Asian characters and doing homages to them, even if they're not in the universe that he's playing in at the moment. So I'd like to think this is intentional. Um, because Jubilee is supposed to be, uh, her parents were Chinese. She's of Chinese, you know, um, nationality. And, um, and he goes flying. He says, who are you? She's surprised that he speaks Mandarin. And she says, I recognize you from Buzzfeed videos. You're the Superman from China. And, um, and she says, you're working with Lex? He goes, no, we're partners. And she says, so you partnered with Lex Luthor to open the gate to Dayu. Um, they'll go into more about what that is later. You kind of came off as a moron in the videos, but I didn't think. And Kenan says, wait a minute, Dayu, I opened a gateway to hell. And behind the Superman skeleton in the doorway, we see someone chow- shouting in Mandarin script. And... <laughs> and I Ching says, I told you he was hellishly short-sighted. And uh, Lex confronts Avery, grabs her by the shirt. Um, uh, he calls her a spy. And uh, Avery shouts, yo, boss, Baldy's getting testy, so I'm going to need some backup. You locked onto my lo- location yet? And then three characters burst through the wall. And uh, this is the white, the China white triad and we have a lady who is dressed all in white with white hair that's china white we have a very large guy very muscular guy he has glowing snake tattoos on his chest arms and back uh with he has super strength that is snake pit he's the one that smashed through the wall um he tries closing the gate um because china white tells him to because things are about to get nasty and um, by now, Kenan has lost his focus, so he has lost his powers again. And 
uh, snake pit just about knocks him out. Um, China White is speaking in English. He's saying, Lex Luthor, continuing the centuries-old Western tradition of looting treasures from the East. And, um, and Lex says, no, actually, I'm keeping immensely powerful artifacts from the clutches of a criminal organization like the China White Triad. And, um, uh, China White tells the third member of her cadre, here's a guy with gray skin, and he's wearing kind of a turquoise outfit, and this guy is Strato the Cloud Man, and he constantly refers to everyone, he refers to himself in the third person, and he refers to everyone else by their name. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to use pronouns. He says, Strato the Cloud Man is happy to rescue young Avery Ho, and he can, he can create, uh, he can turn himself into gas, or can emits vapors of some kind, but he creates a smoke screen at the very least, and um, he's filling the room with smog, and um, as Kenan starts to panic, uh, I Ching tells Kenan to remain mindful of his chi, direct along its proper path, and there's a whoosh, and the smoke starts to clear, and I Ching says, the smoke is clearing, Kenan, were you able to activate your super breath? And Kenan says, that wasn't me, that was him, and now we see that our Superman, Clark Kent, has arrived, and he has blown away the smoke with his super breath, um, and it should be noted that almost everything about Superman is in shadow. We can obviously see that his costume is blue. We can see the red and white of the symbol on his chest. We can see the red of his cape, but the shadows completely cover his midsection and the lower half of his legs, so we cannot see his boots or his belt, which will become important next issue. So, like I've said, I absolutely love the series. The dialogue is hilarious. Gene Yang is one of my favorite writers. Um, I do prefer, uh, I did prefer Billy Tan's pencils on the last two issues of the series that we covered. Um, I personally think their style is, is, it's more to my taste than Bogdanovic's. Plus, I like that, like I mentioned earlier, Yang likes to promote other Asian creators, and so I like it when he has an Asian artist working with him on a book. So that is our special surprise bonus episode, um, and we are well, well and good into some proper time for this episode now. So I am going to pause again for just a moment, and I'll come right back and wrap everything up. And that does it for episode 53 of Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to me talking about these issues as much as I enjoyed reading them and talking about them to you. If you do enjoy what I'm doing here on the show, and if you'd like to support it financially, you can check out my Patreon. Again, that uh, the web address is patreon.com slash truth, excuse me, patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope. Sometimes I have to slow down for my speech impediment. Excuse me. Um, like I said, I'm going to be talking about the death of Superman this week, so if that's exciting to you, now is a great time to jump on. I put out a new issue of the Patreon just about every week for only $3 a month. 
So you get four episodes for $3. So that's less than a dollar an episode. That's a pretty good deal, I think. Um, And next week, I'm going to be doing an overview of Funeral for a Friend. After that, I'll be doing Adventures of Superman number 500, which is one of my all-time favorite issues. And from there, jumping straight on into Reign of the Superman. And afterwards, I will be doing highlights of various story arcs throughout the 90s. Uh, before I, as well as overviews of Zero Hour, and I'm going to do a deep dive into uh, hunt, uh, Superman Doomsday Hunter Prey. So it, it's a good time over there. You, you should check it out. Um, another way you can help the show is leaving me a star, five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can follow the Truth, Justice, and Hope Facebook page. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Truth, Justice, and Hope. Both those places I mainly just use for putting out uh, new episode announcements and and things about upcoming episodes and stuff like that. I do the majority of my shenanigans uh, still on Twitter at About Superman, where I'm continuing to do uh, read-throughs of different eras of Superman, Superman comics, and giving my thoughts on those. And, um, just my thoughts on Superman and things like that in general. So it's, that is also a pretty good time. You may want to check that out. So next week here on the main podcast, we are going to continue talking about, um, Superman Reborn and the way the tie-ins are done don't quite match up with the timeline of of Superman and Action Comics. So I'm not going to lock in exactly which issues I'm going to do. For sure, I'm going to do Action 975. Um, beyond that, I may continue with Superman number 19. I may talk about some of the tie-ins. Um, and, you know, if if the... If I get about an hour's worth of content out of two issues, I'll do that. If I need a little extra time, I'll toss in a bonus. And I think that's working out really well. So I'm probably going to continue doing that. But until then, until we hear from each other again, remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love you.